Once upon a time, there was a guy with the improbable name of Fox Mulder. Do you believe in the existence of extraterrestrials? They're here, aren't they? Mr. Mulder, they've been here for a long, long time. I can't take away the X-Files, Scully. They tried. Mulder will be back. As long as he lives, he won't give up. Well, there are solutions, of course. The X-Files, an all-new episode, Sunday on Fox. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. They tried to shut us down following our politics episode, but I am reopening the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, where we scream for non-fat tofuti rice dreamsicles. I am Glenn Butler of the Wednesday Walk Around the Web and several fine podcasts on this award-winning podcast network, and this week we are looking at the brand new return of The X-Files. We are going to get into the first two episodes of the new six-episode run aired on back-to-back nights. We are going to get a little into the original series. We are going to take a deep, penetrating dive. But before we get to that, I have to bring in the folks who make this a we, and not just me screaming into the void, something I'm all too prone to do, but don't usually record. First is my big brother, Scott Butler, who was not made to witness my mysterious abduction at a sensitive and formative age, but spends most of his time in a basement anyway, just without the sunflower seeds and conspiracy theories. Scott, what do you want to believe? I want to believe that the children are our future. (laughs) I want to believe in life after love. I want to believe that it is by will alone that I set my mind in motion. Ugh, don't we all? We also have a very special guest with us this time, uh, someone I've been bantering with on this wide, wonderful internet of ours for close to ten years now, the newest member of the Place to Be Nation, my X-Files news and information guy, Mr. Andy Halleen. Andy, what do you want to believe? Um, I want to believe that one day I'm going to get out of my basement. (laughs) (laughs) I got out briefly, then I went right back in. Yeah, it was the same thing with me. It was a couple months, and then I went right back. They always come back. Am I like your um, deep throat then? Um, Not like a porn deep throat, but like you said, I give you information, so I'm like (laughs) uh, an informant guy, right? You are are my informant on on all things X-Files. You are, uh, would it be fair to call you a super fan? Uh, well, uh, well, I'm not sure. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah. I'm still laughing about your intro. Sorry, I can't focus. <laughs> uh, well, well, all right then. But you have been deep into the show for about as long as I've known you, right? Yeah, like fairly so. But I don't know if I'm really a super fan because I came later into uh, the X Files fandom. Like it was probably like 2007 that I uh, started watching it regularly. Uh, so it was like reruns on TNT. 
Yeah, it was definitely you know a big market to uh, to get into this stuff. Uh, Scott, I know you were watching you know the original run, right? Yeah, I watched it, the original run in the nineties. I was a big fan when it premiered and throughout most of the first run and then toward the end of the series, the last two, three, four years, it sort of took a nosedive and I sort of started watching not every episode and then I only caught a few of the important ones and then I just sort of stopped watching entirely toward the end. Yeah, I, I watched um, a little bit when it was originally on, when it started in 93. I was entirely too young to be watching it, but I watched some of it anyway. Um, some of the episodes, some of the images kind of got burned into my brain. I remember I was nine or ten years old, and the thing I remember is the very end of Tombs, when uh, good old Eugene is squashed under the escalator. You know, for, for whatever reason, that image stuck in my mind, and you know, as, as a kid, whenever we would go someplace with an escalator, I thought of that episode. Um, then that guy became like an other, right? On Lost, right? It was the same actor. Did he? Yeah, yeah. I think that was the same guy. The one didn't he even marry like some like eighteen year old girl, but he's like fifty years old. Oh goodness. So he's just as creepy in real life as he was on the show. Well, I, I certainly hope he doesn't uh take after the liver and the bile and all and all that stuff. Yeah. I guess I am a super fan if I know their names and uh their like lives outside of the show. Well, the way I like to think of it is that you are to X Files the way uh Scott and I are more for Star Trek. Remember yeah. when when I started watching the whole show to prepare for the new uh, episodes this past fall, I would mention like little details of episodes, and you would come back with, "Oh yeah, what did you think of that next scene?" And I'm like, "Wow, you remember a whole lot of details." And then I thought, "Well, of course, you're a fan of the show." Yeah, and I have the um, reviews, so. I, I guess. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. That is something that I want to bring up. Uh, talk a little bit about the uh, X-Files blog that you're running and where people can find that. Uh, well, it is um, uh, bad-doggit at blogspot.com. Uh, it's like my X-Files reviews, and I've been going in order. I started in 08, and so it's really nerdy, but I've been kind of going in order, like a season a year, and I've even been following along with uh, when they take breaks and everything, so summer breaks. Uh, Scott, do you have an update on, on the actor we were talking about? Amazingly enough, Doug Hutchison is yeah. the guy's name, and he played Horace Goodspeed. Oh! Yeah, wasn't he one that had, like, a kid or something, or he was, like, a janitor with a... Or no, wait, the janitor was Ben's dad, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was a leader, wasn't he, before... Yeah, he was the leader in the 70s, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah in all the 70s episodes, with with the 70s hair and all that. Yeah, like, sorry to go off on a tangent there, but just when you mentioned tombs, it like, I don't know, I just thought back to Lost. This guy, Doug Hutchison, the thing that I think, Andy, you were trying to remember, in 2011, he married Courtney Stodden. Okay. Who, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, wasn't she, like, super young or something, like a teenager? Well, Doug Hutchison was born in 1960, and Courtney Stodden was born in 1994. Yeah, so oh. that's 10 years younger than me. So, yeah, I'm 32. She <laughs> was 16 when she married the 50-year-old Hutchison. Ooh. Yeah. that uh, That's not a good look. That sounds like an X-File. <laughs> well, well, he was definitely creepy. Like, she was not born yet when he played Eugene Toombs. <laughs> oh, God, you're right. 
Oh my goodness. So, like, he's almost as creepy as Mulder. <laughs> he's almost as spooky. I mean, I guess I, we're supposed to get to that later, but one of the first things they did was reinforce Mulder's a creep, because he says to this woman, like, really leery, oh, I remember interviewing you, and she's like, oh yeah, you were an FBI agent when I was a little girl. Ooh, yeah. There were some weird things about that dynamic in that episode. But anyway... Um, we on the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular do not mind a digression, do not mind a tangent, and do not mind bringing up some creepy shit. We do not endorse 50-year-old men marrying 16-year-old girls, however. No, no, we do not. Uh, neither we nor anyone else in the Place to Be Network or any entities thereof. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that... Uh, image of, of Tombs stuck under the escalator was one of one of the things that stuck with me from watching the show when I was quite young. And really, I've gotten the, the impression even stronger watching the whole show more recently that a lot of the appeal of it is built on those iconic images. You know, the, those individual shots that really stick in your mind. And I think as the show went on into like its middle period before it got bad... Uh, a lot of the storytelling was really driven by that, where they would come up with a really cool image and then find a way to work it into the story. Where they would think, how about this oil that covers people's eyes, and then they worked it into the story. Or uh, swarms of bees, and then they'd work it into the story. Or guys with all of the orifices on their faces scarred over, and then work it into the story. And for a long time, they kept coming up with these really great images, uh, the submarine sticking out of the ice, and then do an episode about it. Uh, they, they kept coming up with these things, they kept working them into the story, and as any conspiracy-driven show or mystery-driven show has to do, they kept, like drilling down every time, you know, you have to have your major episodes, your sweeps episodes, your season finales and premieres always have to have some threat of finding out the truth or exposing the evildoers, but that rug always has to be pulled out from under it, and it can be a real problem over time to keep deepening that. You know, you find someone who you think knows the truth, but it turns out they don't really know, and now you have to find this other person. Uh, that... I think is one thing that ultimately did lost in where they had again and again, here's the person who knows what's going on. Oh, it turns out there's another person who's actually fooling him. But with X-Files, at least, they kept all the balls rolling. They kept all the plates spinning for an impressively long time. Especially considering they had no plan. Oh, yeah. Like, X-Files was... You have to remember how television was in 1993. X-Files was one of the first mainstream major series that had an extended series-long story arc about it. And it was evident from the way it played out that it wasn't like Babylon 5 where they had a whole thing planned out to begin with. They were really just sort of flying by the seat of their pants. And they kept it going reasonably well for like five and a half or six years. Well, uh, yeah. Remember when Lost, uh, when they were nearing uh, the end and they said they wanted to set an end date and they only did six like seasons? I remember there was a quote, J.J. Abrams, or it might have been that Carlton Cuse. They had a quote where they said they didn't want to end it like the X-Files and go on too long. And I was kind of thinking, well, um, yeah, like you said, TV was different then. So it's not like they were really um, you know, setting out to carry it on. Maybe Fox was like, 
like we want another season so then they did carry it on well that's a fairly new thing the idea of let's end it now before it goes on too long i mean the idea of tv series was always they're gonna let us keep doing it let's keep doing it as long as we freaking can because we still get to come to work every week and get a paycheck and be on this popular show i'm gonna keep riding that pony until it's tired and dead yeah there's a long tradition of tv shows going on for a very long time when there's a general impression that the last two or three seasons just aren't good. I mean, how many sitcoms that went on for years and years, you know, and, and they would retool it for the last season and then end the show? You know, when they added another kid to the Cosby family. They would do that, they, they do that a lot where they try to, they, they acknowledge that the show is starting to get tired, and so they decide, we'll, like, retool everything, it'll rejuvenate the show... And then it just doesn't, and so they just give up after one year of the retooling. You can come up with a list of shows like that a mile long. And you Sounds can like actually include the X-Files on that list if you count Doggett and Reyes as retooling. Or the baby, you know. Um, so they hit that thing, too. Oh, yeah, the whole, uh, you know, the, the entire year of television that Scully was pregnant. <laughs> That's something I know I harp on a lot. But she was literally, she found out she was pregnant in one series finale and did not give birth until the following series finale. That is at least a 13-month gestation. <laughs> Elephants aren't pregnant that long. Well, that's an unkind comparison. <laughs> uh, but yes, I mean, obviously, you know, TV time is not real time, but it is... It is funny how they stretched that out so that they could have it for the season finale. And, of course, she had to wait for Davy Dukes to come back around. Because that was, you know, the first year that he was out of the show. Yes, I love that nickname, Davy Dukes. Davy Dukes! <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wearing my Davy Dukes. Thank you for that update. Yeah, I don't need that visual. <laughs> that's not an iconic image that's going to stay with you from this podcast? God, I hope not! Well, we were talking about X-Files visuals. Now we have our uh, Glennie visuals. Well, let's get back to the X-Files visuals, for God's sake. Please. <laughs> Andy, what are some of the images, some of the ideas from the show that really stuck with you? Well, you had said that, yeah, the visuals. Well, I was reading about Vince Gilligan, and he had said uh, that he came up with a bunch of visuals like that and then pretty much centered an episode around him, like that drive with Brian Cranston. I guess it was like he, for years, had some idea of a guy uh, who was on like a Ferris wheel or something like teacups and kept going around and around and around until his head exploded. And they thought it was a dumb idea, so he... Uh, so he wrote he, an episode about it. Yeah, he borrowed from speed and said, you got to keep going faster or your head um, will explode. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and that, that was a, a highlight of... That was pretty early in season seven, right? Um, I think it was six, six when they I went think. out. Yeah, yeah. Was that, was, that was one of the first episodes in the year they moved to California, if I remember correctly. Right, yes. When when the sh when the production moved to California after the movie, and suddenly a lot of their cases took them to the West Coast. Yeah, all of a sudden the sun would shine during all of their investigations. Which, which frankly, was a, kind of a new thing for X Files visuals, because again, you think of the visuals of the X Files, and it's flashlights in the dark and moody forests of Vancouver. Well, I was saying earlier, before we started recording, I was sort of making a joke on, on the Civil War miniseries where I said, you know, the X-Files was filmed in 10,000 places. Vancouver, a forest clearing outside of Vancouver, another forest clearing outside of Vancouver, 
another forest clearing outside of Vancouver, an apartment <laughs> block in Vancouver, a studio in Vancouver. Yeah, this this is the forest clearing where Mulder saw lights shining through the trees and it turned out to be the biker gang. And this is the forest clearing where Mulder saw lights shining through the trees and it turned out to be the sheriff's truck. And this is the forest clearing where Scully sang Joy to the World. <laughs> you know, take take everyone on a tour of the forests of Vancouver. Oh yeah, the, even in the one episode where they were going to be in like the Mexican like desert, uh, they went to like I think a rock quarry and they just painted the rocks red to look like like Mexico. Yes, yeah. When when they when they went to visit the Anasazi in New Mexico, I think they they painted the rocks orange, and it came across fine on TV. Well, sure, why not? It was probably just one section too, you know, because you probably had a couple angles, and you know. Oh yeah, have... yeah. If they shifted the camera an extra fifteen degrees, you could see the rocks that weren't painted. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. You do just enough to to get what you need on TV, but even that had. Uh, one of my favorite Cancer Man scenes when um, Mulder was in that train car with the alien corpses and Cancer Man like helicopters in and starts barking orders at everyone. It's like the most active and vociferous he really gets on the show and he grabs the uh, Native American kid who was helping Mulder and then barks at his underlings, burn it! <laughs> and, and they just blow up the train. It's... It's, it's like the angriest he got in the show and the most assertive, and that really, really stood out to me. Um, yes, like for a while I had watched those out of order, you know, like the reruns and such. And then by the time I finally got to that in order, I was like, man, if I had seen that on TV, that really would have sold me on the show. I would have been a fan like that. Oh, yeah. And yet, maybe because I was a little young, I didn't really key into a lot of the mythology stuff, especially since it was a little light on the ground at the beginning. When, yeah. when people talk about uh, the, the conception of the X-Files mythology, I think they are thinking of those middle seasons, like, three, four, five. Yeah, definitely at first. It was very light and very vague. That early in the series, you really could have an entire episode hang on a suggestion that here's a place that the aliens were. Eventually, you do that enough times, you have to ramp up the stakes. And so eventually you can't go back to that well the same way. See, I think that's kind of where the series started to falter for me. Because I liked the episodes where the big overarching conspiracy stakes weren't that high. I mean, that, that's just my own personal taste and, and my own preference as a fan of the series. But those were my favorite episodes where it wasn't about, you know, we have to outrace the government agents to seize the evidence of alien activity. My favorite episodes were Eugene Toomes and stuff like that. Well, those are certainly some of the most acclaimed episodes of the series, too. I mean, there's Clyde Bruckman. Yes, Clyde Bruckman, Jose Chung. Oh, God, Jose, Jose Chung is the absolute best. Um, or the Fluke Man. Yes, Fluke yes, Man. Yes, another iconic image, iconic monster from the show, definitely. See, all those episodes, they weren't about the alien invasion. They weren't about the syndicate conspiracy. They weren't about, you know, we need to uncover the evidence and expose this or that or the other. It was just something weird was going on and Mulder and Scully were investigating it. Those were always my favorite episodes. Well, eventually they settled into, I think, a pretty good rhythm in those middle years where they would have the big mythology episodes to open the season and the big mythology episode to close the season and a two-parter in the middle of the season for sweeps, probably. And the rest would mostly be Monster of the Week episodes or small iterations. 
there's one in particular. Uh, Andy, you might have to help me remember exactly which episode it is, but there's one episode I, that I really liked the turn that it took when they were investigating a case, and it was just a case, and then suddenly they're trying to track someone down, and Scully recognizes the person as the guy who shot Deep Throat. And oh, and yeah. suddenly it takes this turn, and this, you know, Case of the Week episode, halfway through, becomes a mythology episode. I, they, I remember that. That was pretty good. That was, I, As I remember, that was a good one. Oh, uh, well, here's my memory. It was mid-season two, I think it's called Red Museum, and they had, like, the guys in the turbans, and there's, like, weird stuff where they're, like, vegetarians. And then, yeah, then it turns into uh, the mythology thing, like, halfway through. I just remember the wacky turbans, though, from that episode, because it was really weird. That was another thing that they would play with visually. I mean, any marker that they could have for someone who is other, you know, any, like, different culture that they could easily signify, they would use as fodder, especially when you got to pump out so many episodes. So there was the episode about voodoo and the episode about uh, Romany curses and hexes and stuff and the episode about the Jews. There was a Gollum episode. The, yeah. Go- the, the Gollum episode was actually pretty good. I liked the Gollum episode. Uh, that's one I actually fell asleep a bunch of times trying to watch it. <laughs> well, well, all right. Then. <laughs> like only time I really fell asleep like six times. It took me like forever to watch that one. I mean, it wasn't bad, but I guess it didn't grab me like you guys. Well, that's fair. There yeah, was. I mean, there's like something for everybody on that show. There's like yeah, monsters, or there's voodoo, and then it's just like weird stuff in every episode. When you look at it, when you back up a little and look at it in sort of an overview, it can sort of become uncomfortable because because of the focus of the show, every culture that you encounter in an episode, what you're encountering is the mystical, magical myths of the culture. So you're not encountering, like, people from the Caribbean who work at a store. You're encountering people from the Caribbean who practice voodoo and have mystical powers. You're not encountering Sikh Indians who work at an office from 9 to 5. You're encountering Sikh Indians who have mystical powers because of their secret magical background or whatever. There's a bit of stereotyping. More than that, I think there's a bit of just, like, smoothing out the rough edges that any group of people has. The the diversity within any group of people. I think the one you said, the like one of the voodoo ones or something, was you said, I think, when we were talking about the show through text, um, you had said like they actually flipped some of those on their heads. So it's like uh, the stereotype people, uh, they weren't the bad guys, or even like the turban guys, they weren't the bad guys. They just happened to be like a way for Mulder and Scully to get to the investigation, and then there was the bad guy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the voodoo episode is about the plight of Haitian people in a refugee camp and the military overseer of the camp who takes advantage of them. Uh, you know, it's... The white man is the enemy of us all, really. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, some, some of those do flip it on its head, and sometimes the structure of the X-Files means that whatever mystical version of a culture is being used for an episode, at least one of the stars of the show is going to believe in them and validate them. You know, Mulder is going to come into the Jewish community and find that someone made a, a golem, and he's going to believe in that, and he's going to validate that, and he's going to validate that for the viewer. 
So it's not like it would be on another police procedural where, you know, someone claims to have a mystical power or whatever and all the detectives are like, yeah, whatever, and then they arrest the murderer at the end of the show. There's going to be someone on the show who validates it. Um, yeah, because didn't even in, I think now that I'm thinking back to the Jewish one, um, didn't they say something like Scully couldn't do an autopsy because it would like desecrate uh, the sacred... Um... Uh, due to the uh, burial rituals, yeah, in, in, in Jewish burial rituals, the body has to be uh, unmolested. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, 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 of, and of course, I if I recall correctly, they present her, you know, pretty professionally, just, you know, that's the custom, that that's what we have to do. I mean... I don't It's been a little while since I've seen that episode. She probably went ahead and did the autopsy anyway, right? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, like I said, I fell asleep. So she, I probably... she did do that in, in, in several in several other episodes, uh, whether or not I'm remembering that correctly. Oh, uh, yeah, how we're talking about... I think all these ones that we've been talking about are all the early seasons, like season two. And it's like my grandma, who was like a fan way, way back, like Scott, watching it when it was actually happening on TV... Uh, she always seems to like in like discussions like throw out some of those kind of random ones too. Like last night, um, I watched it at her house, and after the episode, we were talking about the episode, and uh, uh, she even brought up one that was like um, it was like contaminated chicken, and I or I actually forgot about that one. I think it was like uh, the Chaco Chicken Company or something, and uh, I think they were cannibals. What it was, so it was another voodoo one, but it was cannibalism, I think, and like the leader of the company was like evil and. Uh, throwing people's body parts in his chicken. I vaguely recall that, but it's not coming yeah. to mind that vividly. I'm sorry, there are 200 episodes of this. Yeah, well, it was kind of coming back to me when she mentioned the chicken, but it was like it took a um, it took a while for um, even me, the super fan, I guess, to think of some of these. So, with with a lot of these kind of iconic plots and iconic images and things that really stand out in your mind. The thing that I was looking to see when the new episodes came on was whether they had some really good ideas to get some more of those kind of reinvested in the show. Because one of the things that I think really, really went wrong in the last especially the last two seasons, was they really didn't have those images that stuck with you anymore. They would do new characters and stuff, but they weren't that distinctive. The people infected with the oil was really distinctive. All those shots of the oil covering people's eyes were great. The entire last season of the show was based on this uh, storyline about super soldiers, and the big marker for them was a bump on the back of the neck. And there's yeah. only so many times you can have the camera whirl around someone to show the back of their neck with the dramatic music coming up. You know, that was really kind of a bland concept for that. For something, I mean, they had been building up the super soldiers through, you know, implication for a long time. There are so many, you know, one-off episodes where the plot was the government did experiments on Vietnam veterans to make them not have to sleep so that they could be super soldiers. And there are so many episodes about little aspects. And then they finally did the super soldiers who put all of this together. And it's bland and boring. And one of them is played by Adam fucking Baldwin. What? But, uh, what's wrong with him? Adam Baldwin is not only uh, a big right winger, but he's also rather heavily involved. Or at least a big cheerleader of the Gamergate domestic terrorist movement. Oh, right. I think we even talked about this in text, too. Just... Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we did when, when he first came up. Uh, but yeah, he has been a big proponent of 
harassing and doxing and swatting uh, women who dare to talk about, make, or play video games. So, mm. fuck him, basically. Yeah, but he didn't carry all that baggage in, like, 2000 or 2001 when he started playing the Super Soldiers. No, no, he didn't. And, I mean, he was great on Firefly. You know, Firefly was a great show, but, you know, I have my biases. But anyway... Uh, I don't know for Soldiers, because they kind of did a cool visual later on, if I remember um, right from that season, whereas if they got too close to a certain, like, rock, they'd, like, explode, I think. And Adam Baldwin, like, turned to stone and then blew up. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> yes, yes, there, there was. That was the uh, series finale, I believe, when Adam Baldwin tried to get close to the Pueblo where the Cancer Man was hiding out. Which, the more you describe about the plot of the series finale, the more, like, <laughs> weird and not in a good way it sounds. But that's neither here nor there. I was looking forward to the new episodes when they announced them, and I was hoping that they would have some ideas for some really good episode concepts, some really good visual concepts, to really get back in that groove. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, what we think about how they did with that. Obviously, for anyone listening who hasn't picked up so far, there are going to be spoilers for everything uh, that, that we talk about. So if you haven't seen the show yet, go see the show. Uh, Scott, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you think about how the the first two episodes of, of the new season have done in terms of getting back into that classic X-Files feel? Well, I think the second episode did a much better job of it than the first. I don't know how much of that is just my own biases because I like that kind of episode better. The second episode really felt like an X-Files episode. It had the open that just didn't involve anyone, just something weird happened. And then Mulder and Scully show up after the credits to start investigating it. It had a tangential, at best, connection to this whole overarching conspiracy thing. You know, like a couple of two-minute scenes where they connected it. But it was mostly sort of isolated on its own. The first episode felt to me, several times in that first episode, it felt like they were trying to have a huge dramatic scene that they had not in any way built up to. Like, the, the confrontation between Mulder and Skinner in the old X-Files office, it's like, it just sort of came out of the blue, that there's no drama in that scene, even though they're acting like it should have a lot of drama. And a lot of the first episode felt like that. The second episode felt a lot more like an X-Files episode. Something weird happens, Mulder and Scully show up to investigate it, they sort of get caught down the rabbit hole, one thing leads to another, and they uncover this entire thing... And then everything just sort of goes haywire at the end when they finally discover what actually happened. That really felt like to me like an old school X-Files episode. The only thing that felt off is that it's slightly weird now that everybody's in on it. Because what X-Files is to me, or what it was, was Mulder believed in all this stuff. And Scully really didn't. And so Scully spent her whole time trying to debunk him. And then Skinner didn't really want to take a position one way or the other. He was just sort of supervising and keeping hands off. So the fact that, like, Scully and Skinner are both in on it and both supporting Mulder's investigation and both believe all this weird shit that he's claiming, that was the only thing that really felt off to me. And that's just because it's down the line a couple of decades from the original episodes. Yeah, you can't really, at this point, at this late date, have Skinner still sandbagging them. 
I acknowledge I'm being entirely inconsistent, because one of my criticisms of the first episode was that Scully felt entirely too skeptical, given her experiences throughout the series. But then the one thing that felt weird to me in the second episode was that she wasn't skeptical. Because she's had these experiences throughout the series, and so she's not the skeptic anymore. Uh, Andy, what do you think of all this? I kind of have to go uh, with, like, Scott on how you said about the first episode. It seemed really, like, choppy. Like, they had a couple big moments that they had to get to, and then it seemed like it jumped, like, scene to scene to scene. Like, the Mulder and, like, Skinner thing. It's like, oh, he's just there, and then he kicks the poster, and then they move on to something else. I think, yeah, it was kind of choppy, but I think some of the later mythology ones were like that, too. They had, like, a whole bunch of things that they had to get to in a certain amount of time, and then Chris Carter, he just kind of left everything else up to your imagination or whatever. Um, I I, I know you have uh, a couple of issues with Chris Carter's writing, right? Well, it's more like the dialogue, how it's really overly, like, wordy at times, and, like... It was like so much for him to say about all the military industrial complex, but then that felt like one from an earlier season. I don't know if you guys remember this one or not, but it was like there was one called Redux and it was like Scully had cancer and Mulder was like he went down into the Pentagon and saw all the alien stuff. And this one guy from the Defense Department, he went on a big, long like discussion, just like that. um, I guess it was Tad O'Malley on the new episode. He pretty much said the same thing to Mulder, like, it's the government, and it goes all the way back to Roswell, and um, it's nothing to do with aliens, it's just the technology. It was like, even something that Chris Carter took from the movie um, JFK. And so he's kind of lifted it a couple times, so it kind of felt stale to me, but um, I guess that's just my preference. Uh, Well, it's kind of a sister show in terms of uh, conspiracies, right? The big locus for that, at least in, in shows in the U.S., is going to be the federal government. Yeah, well, I guess, like, like they have to get, like, the new fans, because it was on after football, so they think, uh, you know, there's going to be new people watching it, I guess. So they, it was probably for the new people, but, like, the long-time viewers, they probably didn't, um, they already knew everything. That was one element of, of the uh, premiere that I wanted to get into as well. Um, I wasn't watching it live because I was watching the Royal Rumble that night. But after the rumble ended, after everything ended for the night, I started scrolling back through all of my uh, social media streams and got to a solid block of people complaining about the fact that the uh, post-game for the NFL uh, NFC Championship game was delaying (laughs) X-Files. Just a solid chunk of people taking pictures of their TV where the... uh, uh, description bar at the bottom says the x-files and yet you see like luke keekly celebrating with his (laughs) t-shirt just tons of people who could not possibly give a crap about football waiting for the x-files to come on well all of those people clearly hate america (laughs) yes and and according to tad o'malley the feds are coming for them see that was the most unrealistic part of the entire show to me I mean, alien conspiracies, alien DNA, artificially generated children implanted with alien DNA collected from the Roswell crash. That's one thing. Nobody in real life is named Tad. (laughs) I don't want to veer too much back into our uh, politics episode, but I wouldn't put it past Mitt Romney to name one of his kids Tad. No, Mitt Romney's kid is named Tag. Tag. With two Gs. Uh, yeah. Uh, Well... Not to be confused with Sarah Palin's kid, Trip, with two Ps. Wasn't it Trig? 
I think there was a trig. I think there's a trig and a trip. There, there's there's a trig and a trip and a tag. Rand Paul, you were talking about that guy too on your <laughs> and a Rand and a Rand. What does Rand Paul name his kid? Oh goodness, not Nathaniel. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's that's another kind of inside one. I also found it kind of weird that Joel McHale is playing this like right wing conspiracy nut, and they named him Martin O'Malley. <laughs> yes, you actually managed to to call him by his character's name the first time. I'm amazed. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, yes, I am going to want to talk about uh, Martin O'Malley. No, uh... <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants to talk about Martin O'Malley. No, nobody, we already covered that. Nobody wants to talk about about Martin O'Malley. I am going to want to talk about uh, Tag O'Malley. Uh, but I think we'll do that after we take a quick ad break to hear a little bit about the other podcasts on this Place to Be Nation and the PWO Place to Be Nation Network. We will catch you on the flip side. consideration paid for by the following what's up everybody this is kevin kelly make sure you check out every episode of the kevin kelly show right here on the place to be nation place to be nation.com the kevin kelly show every episode is a winner at least we hope place to be nation's justin rosero here in addition to the kevin kelly show we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on itunes at place to be nation.com you can check out scott criscolo and me on the mothership the place to be podcast with our famous vintage vault pay-per-view reviews ptbn also covers current day wrestling with main event mission indie possible and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on wwe nxt and ring of honor super shows and relive wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series led by ben morse and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. We got sports covered too with the Sports Evolution Mega Show with Scott, Dr. G, Cowboy, and Cowboy Sr., the Kings of Sport led by Live Audio Wrestling's godfather Nate Milton, as well as the NBA Team Podcast and the TJ McLoon Show. PTBN tackles pop culture and irreverence with Richard and the Mailman, the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, and if you like a hybrid of all of this in list form, check out Jordan Duncan's Rank and File. All of these shows are available on PlaceToBeNation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments, and more. We want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, and Scott Keats' Blog of Doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaceToBeNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is Parv, and I'm here to tell you to listen and subscribe to the pro wrestling only Place to Be Nation podcast network. That's the PWO PTBN podcast network, where you'll find a ton of in depth shows done by hardcore fans. We've got Chris Zellner's One Two Punch of Exile on Bad Street, and with David Bickenspan, a smash hit between the sheets. We've got Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave. 
Goodwill Wrestling and the reaction shows with Good Old Will from Texas. We got This Week in Wrestling with my man Pete and Johnny Sorrow. Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston's Pro Wrestling Super Show. Tag Teams Back Again with Kelly and Marty Sleaze. And a ton of other great shows too. And of course, there's Titans of Wrestling and Where the Big Boys Play with yours truly and some dude from down south called Chad. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. Before we get back into the discussion, I want to mention that Andy, who I said was the newest member of the Place to Be Nation, had an article go up on PlaceToBeNation.com recently, The Essential Guide to the X-Files, where he lists uh, one episode from each of, was it the first seven seasons? Yeah, the first um, seven with uh, Mulder, um, uh, David Duchovny. Yes, where he lists some of the best episodes, some of his favorite episodes, and notably, uh, the mythology episodes were not in there, so you were concentrating on the Case of the Week, Monster of the Week episodes, right? Well, there was actually one that I included from um, Season 2, and it was, it was one that started out like, uh, you even mentioned earlier, the Super Soldier kind of thing, where uh, they were experimenting on guys because they were trying to keep them from sleeping. And then it kind of it kind of took a left turn, and the Smoking Man was there, and uh, so it kind of became a conspiracy as it went on. Yeah, that was definitely good on uh, Sleepless with Tony Todd, who has to be in every sci-fi show. Yes, yes. And then, um, well, I chose the pilot from the first season, so that has a lot of the mythology with the Smoky Man being introduced. Yeah, when I when I went back to watch the whole show, I, I didn't remember that he was there from the pilot. I mean, he didn't say anything, and he didn't do all that much, but he was just there, like, in the background. Yeah, and actually that was something uh, that they just kind of like hired that guy just to stand in the corner and smoke, and then they found out later that he really was an actor, and his name's William B. Davis, and he's even up in Canada, like he runs an acting school, so uh, they expanded his role from there. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I think I saw somewhere that he had auditioned for one of the um, tiny speaking roles, and then was not hired for that, but they hired him almost as an extra, just to sit in the background. And then he became what he became. You know, television is a hell of a thing. Well, when you're trying to concoct a series-long conspiracy arc completely fine by the seat of your pants, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And, and while we're mentioning visuals, I mean, there are so, so many different visuals they did with his smoking over the years. Yeah. I think one of my favorites was when... Um, again, I don't remember exactly which episode it is. Andy, you, you probably will. Uh, but it was in pretty early in the show... When he lit up a cigarette and Skinner kind of cleared his throat and pointed to a no smoking sign and Cancer Man just kept smoking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. I don't remember exactly which one that is, but it was like early, like, it was like early season two or something. Yeah, but I do remember that. He just kind of pointed. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a power move. <laughs> 
I think my favorite one with the smoking man speaking of that is and they've even done it now in this revival miniseries is he's smoking through a hole in his neck that's cool yes after uh, one of his many many injuries during the course of the original series yeah I feel like that's one of the attempts you were talking about at like an iconic image is that shot of him smoking through his tracheotomy Yeah, well, that whole little coda to the episode is a big X-Files trope, where every time they close down the X-Files, eventually they reopen the X-Files, and Cancer Man has to find out, so there's always that scene where someone calls him or someone tells him, there was a big one at the end of the first movie as well, uh, when... You know, he has to find out that, you know, those Goldurn FBI have reopened the X-Files and, and the smoke swirls. It seems weird to me that there's this giant government military-industrial complex conspiracy with the aliens, even, multi-planetary conspiracy to try to shut down the X-Files and keep them from investigating and keep them from exposing all of this. And the only thing it takes to reopen the X-Files is for Skinner to go... Mm, I'm reopening the X-Files. Do you think the conspiracy is intergalactic, planetary, planetary, intergalactic? (laughs) 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 Made myself laugh, too. (laughs) (laughs) Need a second to compose myself. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Okay, where were we? Uh, Skinner, yes. Um, what about Skinner? Uh, there's this this vast conspiracy that can't keep Skinner from reopening the X-Files because he feels like it. Although... This is the one guy uh, that was uh, um, their boss for a while. Um, um, he was uh, Kirsch. Kirsch, yes. Kirsch is the worst. <laughs> Although I'm kind of wondering, you know, the end of the original series heavily implied that Kirsch was going to be summarily executed by the conspirators for betraying them and letting Mulder go. And yet, we come back 15 years later, Skinner still hasn't gotten a promotion. You know, he may or may not have gotten a new office. So I, I, I don't know if assistant director is just one of those positions where a guy parks himself for life, or if Skinner... You know, he probably pissed some people off all those times he reopened the X-Files. <laughs> yeah, but middle management, I guess. Well, you know what? If you have to deal with middle management, I would like for it to be Skinner. Because as the series moved on, and even in uh, the, the second movie, I want to believe, you can always have a, a good moment when Skinner decides, no, I'm on their side, I'm going to back them up. That, that was one, one of the best moments in, I want to believe, really. When he showed up and then finally got some shit done. And then that was a moment that I appreciated in the uh, premiere of the new miniseries. Uh, when they have their meeting with Skinner and some shadowy government agent. Uh, who takes away all the classified stuff and warns everyone not to release anything. And then as soon as he's out of the room, Skinner looks at Mulder and says, You got copies of all that, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, that was that was the second episode where they're investigating yeah. the genetic kids, right? Yeah, yeah. There there are two episodes, and I'm fucking them up already. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Because I thought you said the premiere, maybe, or maybe you didn't. I no, I did say that. I f- fucked it up. <laughs> that was it's one a- moment that struck me as weird because 
it's so weird for Skinner to be so explicitly on their side. Because in my mind, I'm still mentally in, like, season two or three. Where he would just be sort of like, I don't know what you guys did with those files before that government guy took them away. And I don't want to know. Don't tell me. But for him to just explicitly say flat out, you got copies, right? <laughs> that was not what I'm used to. Yeah, because I want to say that, like, he didn't actually fully become a good guy like that until until David Duchovny kind of left the series. And then uh, they kind of turned him um, into a good guy. Like, so he became like Team Mulder, but Mulder wasn't really there at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that is a dynamic that they tried to explore when they were first introducing Doggett. And he was still not only playing the skeptic, as Scully did early in the series, but also, uh, which I think you've noted in your reviews of, of season eight, Andy, he's been a real dick at the beginning of that season. And so the kind of Team X-Files became Scully and Skinner. They were the ones who knew that Mulder had been abducted by aliens while Doggett was leading his manhunt across the countryside. Uh, and so that relationship became a lot more important. Um, yeah, so, so I'd say that's why it kind of has shifted the, like, the dynamic of the show now with these new episodes, um, because now Mulder's back and now he's got a buddy. Yeah, exactly. And the relationship between Scully and Skinner really isn't explored at all, so far at least. I mean, we're only two episodes in. Uh, but it, it hasn't been explored so far. It's been a lot more like it was in the earlier days, a lot more Mulder and Skinner. Oh, yeah, and even uh, you guys were talking about, uh, um, I guess, like Skinner and how he stands up for him. I even remembered a line of where he's like, uh, um, he told the smoking man, this is where you pucker up and kiss my ass. And it was like a huge moment. I think that's when he kind of like actually showed whose like side he was going to be on. Yeah, that was I think the beginning of season three, right when they did the whole thing with the uh, code talkers, and he revealed to Cancer Man that this entire secret archive of alien contact information had entered the spoken word memory of the Native American tribe that they were in contact with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and basically told him, you know, you can't do anything about this information unless you're prepared to eliminate this entire tribe. Which is a moment of TV magic. Because in the real world, he might have just, you know, stomped him out. But well, given everything they're doing in the new series, they probably would have. Maybe they did at some point. The use of the mythology and the conspiracy in these new episodes is something that I wanted to talk about. I mean, obviously it's the focus of the first episode because it's what you need to kind of get back in the groove. But there's a big problem that any new X-Files production has, which is that it has to deal with the whole mountain of stuff that was created during the series and toward the end of the series. And it has to find a way to tell new stories within that. And I thought it seemed awfully strange during the scene where uh, Mulder was talking to his informant. And the informant said something along the lines of, you know, uh, warring groups of aliens lighting each other on fire and other such nonsense. And I started to think, are they really trying to wipe all that away? Well, that was what the entire first episode was about. I mean, that's what Mulder declares... He says, you know, that whole alien conspiracy, that was all just nonsense. That was bullshit that was fed to me. There was no alien conspiracy. It's all people doing this. It's, it's the Defense Department trying to take over. All of that stuff about aliens that I spent nine years investigating, that was all stuff that was fed to me to keep me off of the real conspiracy. 
And then they spend the episode chasing alien DNA. Yes. Yeah, that is odd now that you kind of put it in like that. <laughs> but um, I mean, the basic gist of that first episode is Mulder's realization that everything that he thought he was uncovering throughout the first nine years of the series is all bullshit. Yeah, but like a lot of episodes are kind of like that, though, anyways. Like, oh, like I have the key to everything, and it's this kid that can read minds. Then the next episode or, um, you know, a season later, it's like, here's the key to everything, and it's this lady who, um, who like, might be a hybrid. And then now it's, like, the key to everything, and it's a girl who, like, might be another hybrid. So, so I don't know. I guess um, it might play out later on before the six episodes are up. I don't know. Um, but now we won't know because the girl got blown up. Well, it probably won't come back until the finale. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you, Andy, probably probably told me from one of your sources, you know, my news and information guy, that uh, the first episode and the last episode are the ones that are pretty heavily mythology, right? Yeah, that's. Um, I think the way it is going to go, because those, um, the one that is the first episode and the last episode are like the Chris Carter episodes, and then ones in the middle, uh, they brought back other writers. I think um, last night's was James Wong. And he wrote a couple in the early years. And then um, there's Darren Morgan, who uh, was a writing partner of um, James Wong in the early years. And they used to write a couple together like that uh, Tombs episode. And then another writer that rejoined him is um, Darren Morgan. And he was responsible for like um, the funny ones, like uh, the Clyde Bruckman and the Jose Chung's. So I'm really looking forward to um, episode three with Darren Morgan. Uh, cool. Yeah, they uh, got the whole band back together. Except Vince Gilligan, of course, because he's too big now. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he's doing um, Better Call Saul right now. So, yeah, Right, right, of course. But I really like how they brought back these other writers, because I thought that's like, what was kind of lacking from that second movie, was it was all just Chris Carter on his own. And I think uh, that the series, it kind, of, it kind of needs all of those different writers to add their flavors to it. So I think this like, little six-episode um, run will be pretty good. It's definitely got the sense that they have a lot of people there who are well-versed in the show and experienced in making it, even if it was a long time ago. Um, yeah, the other interesting thing about these episodes is actually uh, the second episode that we saw um, last night. Uh, the second episode was actually filmed and written, and it was supposed to be the fifth episode. And then I guess like a month ago, they switched it up. And they kind of like rejiggered all the middle episodes. And they said that the fifth one's not going to be the second one. And then the one that was going to be the second one is now the fourth episode. So they've kind of, yeah, shuffled them all around. So I'm kind of I'm really wondering what's actually going to go down. That's interesting because the second episode reintroduced the uh, alien DNA idea that has been running through both episodes now. So I could see how that would work for the penultimate episode if it's been a few episodes to bring that up and remind everyone if it's leading into a mythology story for the season finale. If they reshuffled everything, they must have done, like, some pickup shots or something, because there were a couple of bits in the episode. Like, there was one bit where Skinner is talking with them about the case, and he says, well, here you go, welcome back, which makes sense in episode two and wouldn't have made sense in episode five. Yeah, so I think there is kind of some maybe missing scene, because it seemed like when the episode started, they're just already, like, back at the FBI, and there was, I don't know, it seemed kind of abrupt or something at the like did anybody else pick up on that where uh, it was like now that now that you mention it i suppose so i didn't think it was a problem since you know that was what they were heavily implying at the end of the first episode they got you know their texts from skinner and you know they're right back in it and then 
you start the next episode and they're right back in it. I suppose it's abrupt watching them back to back, but in terms of episodic TV, I don't think that's the sort of thing you need to spend a lot of time explaining. Like, I guess Scully, isn't she a doctor? Maybe she's got to put in leave to go back to the FBI or something. I guess that's probably not too dramatic for TV purposes, though. I was kind of surprised they both passed the background checks to get jobs at the FBI. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you think considering their history of insubordination, <laughs> you know, that, that would be a bit of an issue. Yeah, like how many times is this that they've reopened the X-Files now? It's got to be at least like four or five. <laughs> well, they used to do it in every season premiere, right? Every season finale, they would close the X-Files and then every se- or, or split them up and put other people on the X-Files. And, yeah. and then, you know, at the beginning of the season, they'd bring them back together. You know, they, they spent an entire movie doing it. Yeah, they spent the movie and then the first couple episodes of, like, season six, uh, they even weren't even on um, when they were um, underneath Kirsch, I guess, his uh, um, directorship. They were put on, I guess, like, I don't um, know what the job was, but I think it was, like, domestic terrorism. That's why they were um, involved with that bombing uh, in the movie. Right. They, they, were, they were on the it, terrorism task force for a while. Weren't they um, interviewing people who bought fertilizer? Yeah, that's the drive one with uh, Vince Gilligan, yeah, when they... Yes. Uh, so they, they were put on, you know, the lower beat, but... Um, yeah, but then, I guess, like, Dag Nambit, that Mulder, he's still uh, investigating stuff. Still a thorn in our side. Uh, the, the, the listeners can't see, but whenever you mention Kirsch, I shake my fist at the sky. <laughs> Mulder. He always kind of has a voice like that. Yeah. Fuck you, Kirsch. <laughs> Jetson! <laughs> I want to talk about some of the new characters, too. And the big one, obviously, is, as we mentioned, Triple Mally. Joel McHale playing Glenn Beck. Except the relationship between the sorts of conspiracies that Mulder was interested in and the sorts of conspiracies that are real, dumbass, right-wing conspiracies, I think there was kind of an uneasy combination there. And they didn't really go together that well. Maybe that's just my personal bias, but when you combine, like, alien hybrids and invasion and UFOs with the supposed FEMA concentration camps, at least twice they cut to his show, or people watching his show on the not-YouTube version of YouTube. Mind Quad. Thank you. Mind Quad. What is a Mind Quad? I have no idea. Uh, At least twice they cut to his show on the Mind Quad, and he was talking about people coming after your guns. And if you're a registered firearm owner, you're on their list and they're going to come for you. Which I think lives really uneasily with the alien stuff and the UFO stuff, because the conspiracy theories about guns is real shit that real morons believe. See, I thought it was really interesting how easily those two coexisted with each other. Really? How well they all went together. You know, they're going on and on about, you know, regular X-Files conspiracy stuff, that the government's doing this, and the Defense Department, and this, and then they just seamlessly slipped in, oh yeah, the FEMA concentration camps. And they just slipped it in there like nothing else. Didn't call any attention to it, and it fit right in. I thought that was really good, you know? The government is hiding stuff. The government wants to control people. The government wants to take over. And they're, the thing that they're hiding is it their plan to assault every registered gun owner, or is it their plan to implant people with alien DNA? Why do you believe one and not the other? I, oh, thought, well, you know, I thought that I, was really interesting. 
Um, yeah, that ties back in, um, now that you mention it, with that first movie, if you remember. I never knew what the smoking man's job was other than to sit in that yacht club and smoke. Because um, they never got into what he actually does. But... <laughs> Um, yes, yes, the, the, the creepy uh, yacht club. Said, in the movie, they said that he works for FEMA. And that's the thing. Uh, there was like a secret government where if ever there was going to be like some kind of threat, then FEMA has a right to take over uh, the country. So maybe that'll come back into play in this miniseries then. <laughs> yacht club. See, I thought, it, I thought that was a really interesting thing to highlight is how... I mean, all the other things that Martin O'Malley is talking about... Maybe I should stop calling him Martin O'Malley, because I don't want to get confused with the actual Martin O'Malley. All the other things that Joel McHale's character is talking about are, like, stock conspiracies that anyone who follows politics on the internet or anyone who watches the Fox News channel has already heard that actual people actually believe and that, you know, Ted Cruz probably believes... And then there's the alien conspiracy stuff that Mulder is promoting, and it's like he easily gets sucked from one to the other. Those are actually the kind of episodes that I'm like, I was like you. I kind of liked just the monster ones, but now as I've seen the whole like series now, um, I actually kind of like those ones where it's a conspiracy, but it's it's not a conspiracy related to aliens. Like the one where Mulder, I guess, was undercover, and then there was like some kind of like I guess chemical bioweapon thing, and he was like a bank robber all of a sudden. Um, it just seems like those ones they kind of or other ones they kind of relate like real world events in with the conspiracies. Like if you remember the World War Two uh, submarine, and that's where they got. Uh, the black oil and and even in that episode i guess the black oil was like et and it was going to phone home to it's like ufo and then i think Mulder said something uh he was talking to um like one of the syndicate guys and he told him that it really wasn't a plane it was like a foo fighter and i was like what is that where uh, dave Grohl got the, the name from the foo fighters like a ufo in world war ii yeah, that was actually a term that World War II pilots used for unidentified things in the sky. Yeah, so those are the things that's kind of become like the episodes that I, if, I, um, if I'm going to rewatch one, I'll revisit some of those. Because I like how they tie the real world stuff in with their own stuff. It kind of makes it kind of more interesting. I just thought it was sort of interesting the way that it sort of showed that Mulder is almost kind of gullible in a way. That he believes so many outlandish things that it's easy to sort of, like, drag him along into believing these other ridiculous outlandish things. Well, he wants to believe, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing that Scully points out. He wants to believe. The first time that he says it, he says it as if, I want to believe, but uh, proof has been elusive. And then Scully brings it up to say, you want to believe, so you take things as proof. Yeah. Yeah, so even some of those informants in the early years kind of like purposely like misled him, I think, just so he would end up uncovering something else or like it would end up being swept under the rug. Yeah, he, he proved easily led by Deep Throat a couple of times, by Mr. X especially. And now things are at such a state that the closest thing he has to that sort of person is that doctor from Roswell who won't actually tell him anything. That and uh, Joel McHale is going back. Well, come back because did he like disappear too, or something? I don't he, even know. He's in, I think, two more episodes. Oh, okay, cool. I'm assuming that one of them is going to be the finale. Yeah, probably. Um, where'd you see he's in? Um, he's going to be in more because I could never see anything where anybody was like listed for multiple episodes. 
Well, it's listed, uh, now that a couple of episodes have actually aired, the uh, IMDb credits are listing what episodes various people are in. Oh, interesting. Oh, cool. Also, can I just say, with the whole Joel McHale's internet show on MindQuad, Scully (laughs) sucks at remembering URLs. Because she watches this show, like, three or four times within two scenes, and every single time she has to Google for it. Hey, yeah, like, what about bookmarks, you know? Yeah, like, come on. Website. <laughs> well, she doesn't have a teenage kid to show her how to use the computer. And that's not even going into the whole thing that she has a laptop computer in the surgical scrub-down room. Um, well, I noticed something. Mulder, obviously, if you watch the beginning of the episode, he obviously picked up scrapbooking from uh, Pinterest. Uh, you know, with all the scenes. That- <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty adept at using the internet. The scrapbooking actually is something that he was doing in the second movie as well. Uh, you, you see him in his in his house, and he has all these newspaper articles and photos pinned up around another "I want to believe" poster, not the one that was left in the FBI office. Yeah, how many of those things has he got? Uh, he's keeping them alive on Etsy. <laughs> uh, also, uh, just as a character note. It, I know it's been that way for a while, but it feels weird to me for Mulder to have a house. Yeah, because you suppose. Yeah, and not just a ratty apartment that doesn't have a bed. I mean, Mulder should not have a bed other than the one Michael McKeon got him. <laughs> well, it makes sense that he would like move out to a remote area so that he wouldn't, you know, nobody would be near him. It'd oh yeah, more- at the end of the series, they had to run away from the black helicopters, so it makes sense to go hide out in the middle of nowhere. Can I just say it was very hard for me to tell the difference between Mulder's house and Sveta's house? <laughs> yes. yes! Whenever somebody would drive up to a house, I had no idea which one they were at. Especially when Scully went to Mulder's house and Sveta was there. <laughs> which I was afraid. You know how I react to these to these things. Sometimes I don't even see it coming, and sometimes I'm hypersensitive. But I was so afraid when they had that shot where Sveta came to to the door at Mulder's house and Scully just kind of looked her, you know, up and down. I was so afraid that they were going to have another stupid fucking love triangle. Well, that wasn't Sveta in the love triangle. That was Joel McHale in the love triangle. Yeah, he You see, I went both ways. I was hypersensitive to something they weren't doing with Sveta, and thank goodness... But I let some of the Joel McHale stuff just kind of go in one ear and out the other the first time I watched the episode. Oh, as soon as Joel McHale said, I just wanted to see you again, I was taking notes. My exact note when he said that line was, Oh no, not a love triangle. Won't someone think of the chip? Or, I I mean, Glenn! Won't someone think of Glenn! (laughs) Ugh, shipping is giving me PTSD. <laughs> and then they're on the date later when Mulder calls all excited about his new revelation that everything he spent nine years investigating was bullshit. Well, it is a very exciting thing to find out, right? <laughs> yeah, that... Oh, God. Oh, God. I, I have to recover for a little bit. Andy, what do you think? Of the love triangle? Oh. <laughs> So that's a scene straight out of, like, every 1980s movie, where, like, the woman is on a date with the rich guy in the limousine, and while she's in the guy's limousine, she gets a call from the ex-boyfriend. And obviously, shipping has been a huge part of X-Files fandom since there's been an X-Files fandom. And that's, you know, that's completely cool. 
you know, ship your ships. I'm not here to judge. I never saw them that way, and I really, really loved never seeing them that way because you don't often get in TV like a close, intimate friendship like that, especially between a man and a woman. And so, you know, it never really twigged me out when they would start to tease it or they would come close to kissing and then someone would fire a gun or whatever. Or or when... Um, or a bee sting, they're about to kiss, and then she got yes, stung. Yes, yes, of course, in, in, in the movie when she gets stung and, and infected with the black oil virus, whatever. Or which episode was it? Uh, Scott, I think this was one of your favorite parts of the of the series when they finally did kiss, right? Well, that was what I was going to say. My favorite part was the Millennium episode. Ooh, where, with Mike Where they were on the... It was December 31st, 1999, and it was midnight in the episode. It was midnight on December 31st, 99, and so they kissed at midnight, because you're supposed to kiss someone at midnight. So they kiss at midnight, and then Mulder sort of looks around and says, Huh, world didn't end. Which is such a great double meaning line. I love that so much. Yeah, it's a really good meadow moment. I like how these people have been in this relationship for years, and they have a child together. They've known each other for 20 years. They've had an intimate relationship. They have a child together, and yet they still call each other by their last names. I mean, I haven't read any of the fan fiction, but I can only imagine how hot it is when they call out each other's surnames in a moment of passion. Yeah, I try to steer clear of the fan fiction um, I think of them as just best friends, too. Because, like, they both lost, like, siblings and then their parents. So it's, like, it was just kind of cool. Like, um, they don't have anybody else to turn to. So they're kind of, like, best friends together against the world. Yeah, definitely. They both lost so much. And especially for Scully, so much was taken away from her by Mulder, in a way. Because of her involvement with Mulder in the X-Files, yeah. Yeah, that's just one way in which Mulder was the worst just the the callousness at times. What, I, I don't remember which family member of Scully's had just died and Mulder comes up to her talking about whatever conspiracy is in the episode this week. And she has to literally stop him and say, Mulder, my sister, father, whatever, just died. But there are multitudinous reasons why Mulder, over the course of the series, was not very good at his job and not very good at ferreting out conspiracies, really. No, well, you said earlier you kind of got led by the nose by a long series of people. Yeah, for sure. Starting with Deep Throat, and currently Joel McHale has gone back. But I, I did very much like the return to some of the standard Monster of the Week tropes. I guess it wasn't a Monster of the Week, but, you know, the Case of the Week tropes in the second episode. Back to the cold open, like you mentioned. Back to, you know, flashlights in the dark that sort of visual back to the guest stars whose main qualification is doing creepy shit. Uh, yeah, I really like that one um, a lot. Like, actually, at first, I was kind of... I was just a little on the fence. Like, I wasn't sure about it. But after I let it sink in, I thought, well, I've seen all these on, like, DVD, and uh, they seem to almost follow uh, the same pattern. Mulder comes to the conclusion, like, in the first five minutes of being on the scene, and he's like... Oh, it's this. Like, it's like this guy is really a demon and he's having a baby or something like that. And it's just, um, he really makes those wild leaps, like right at the beginning. And then that one that uh, was the second episode of this new revival, it really didn't, like, you didn't know where it was going to go from there. So it was kind of cool. And, and of course, because this is the X Files, he gets to jump to 
the most ostentatiously out there conclusion possible, and he's going to be right. Yeah. <laughs> that is the pattern. Yeah, like, and this one didn't seem like it followed kind of that pattern. Like, you actually followed an investigation instead of um, just Mulder making some claim, and then, you know, it kind of took the mystery out of it in the first whatever. Also, I dig the idea that they kind of implied in the second episode that uh, the Dr. Goldman was working for the creepy yacht club back in the day and that he was working on the hybrid project and this episode is him still continuing some of that work. It's that kind of integration that we mentioned where it's the case of the week and the case as it is is pretty self-contained except there are implications that it's part of the bigger story. Um, yeah, so it felt more like a fringe episode, because that's kind of what they do, or like they did. They kind of had the standalones, but then uh, the overall story was kind of hinted on at the end, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, they're all part of the pattern, and now this one's kind of like its own pattern, like um, the kid, I think, like the search for uh, their son. Yeah, that was definitely a big part of the second episode, too, where uh, uh, Mulder and Scully each get a whole dream sequence with little snapshots of them raising William. Presumably raising him together, but each one in their little scenes is separate. And I appreciate how Scully's vision of raising William starts with, you know, this cutesy scene of taking him to his first day of school, and then for some reason still being there when school gets out to see him for two seconds, but okay. Uh, before some of the mutation stuff or alien stuff kind of intrudes on that vision. Whereas Mulder's dream sequence, you know, starts off with him talking to the kid about aliens. Because <laughs> that's Mulder's dream anyway. Yeah, I loved how Mulder is just, even in his fantasy fathering scenes, he's just slightly weird. Showing his young child 2001 a space odyssey. Yeah, exactly. And, and quoting Kennedy at length. You know, he's the weird dad. Now, do you think these William bits, you think that's going to continue throughout the six episodes? Like, is he going to be the new Samantha Mulder? They did mention him in both episodes. You know, they, they, brought, they brought him up briefly in the first episode. There, there was an explicit parallel with Samantha Mulder, too. I mean, uh, the end of Mulder's dream sequence is, is William being abducted, just like Samantha. Yeah. You know, that kind of original trauma always coming back to Mulder, the way he keeps returning to it over and over again across the series and the movies. Um, see, I was never a fan of the whole William thing, but then, like, a few days before um, the premiere, I kind of thought, well... Um, you know, maybe, like, William isn't such a bad idea because, uh, you know, if they're only going to do a limited amount of episodes and we don't know if they're going to do more after this, like, next year or whatever, it seems like William would be, like, a good, like, catalyst for uh, the investigation. So it would kind of bring some, like, closure to the series if this is going to be the end. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've heard rumors about maybe renewing it, and I think the ratings were pretty good for these episodes, but I'm not up on the business side of it that much. That's somewhere else where I rely on my news and information guy. But even if they don't renew it, then, you know, there has to be some resolution of something in the sixth episode. There has to be some resolution to Tad O'Malley. There has to be some resolution with the alien DNA stuff and William, which might be a little much to pack into an hour. But I think that that can help to an extent. Because one of the things that can really drive a show down is having to stretch things out so much. Yeah. I mean... Well, there's not much chance to stretch things out when your entire series is six episodes. Exactly! They they have six episodes. 
I really hope that compressing it to this short length means that they could only use the best ideas that they had. And and I'm really hoping, you know, the, the first episode was okay. It's a reintroduction. Some of it was a little weird. The second episode I thought was was really good. Yeah, um, yeah. So 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 I'm hoping that these next I mean we only've got 4 episodes left now. I'm hoping it's going to be boom boom boom. Well, the next one as I said it's like a Darren Morgan episode and it's like a monster episode and then I'm not sure what happens after that. So it could be like right back to the Martin O'Malley stuff. Is that the um the comedy episode like the Wear Monster or whatever or is that later in the season? Um that is uh the next one episode 3. And uh, actually, there was a series, um, the Night Stalker, and that was like the old like Kolchak series in the seventies. Well, they revived it like ten years ago, and it was like swiftly like canceled after like five episodes. But Darren Morgan, um, he wrote a script for it, and I think Vince Gilligan wrote a script for it, and I think Frank Spot, it's another X Files guy, they were all in on it. I remember that revival. I remember liking it. Yeah, like the well, they had a couple like scripts that um, that they weren't produced, but they added them as like PDFs to the DVD. And uh, one that wasn't produced was this Darren Morgan thing, um, where it was a monster. So somehow he's brought it back into the X Files and mixed Mulder and Scully in with it. And I read it. I think I read it like years ago when I bought that Night Stalker DVD, but I haven't revisited it. So I wonder if there's um, going to be new stuff or not. That's that's interesting. That sounds pretty appropriate, too, because Kolchak was a pretty big... Uh, the original 70s Kolchak was a pretty big influence for X-Files. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why they produced the revival, because people were trying... You know, whenever anything is successful, people try to copy it. And so one of the things they tried to do to copy the success of X-Files was this Night Stalker revival. Yeah, the Night Stalker was a pretty late one. I remember in the 90s, suddenly there were like half a dozen alien shows. You could even, you know, since it didn't really have any connection to the original Night Stalker, you could even call it a reboot. That one I think you could actually call a reboot. I know how you love the term reboot. Ivy, you know what? Earlier today, I was listening to the Nerdist podcast with Davy Dukes, and there was a brief discussion in there where Davy Dukes admitted that he didn't know what the word reboot means. And so the hosts of the Nerdist were explaining to him that these new X-Files episodes are not a reboot because it has Mulder, played by Davy Dukes, and it has Scully, played by Gillian Anderson. So it is not a reboot, just like the Star Trek movie starring Leonard Nimoy as Spock. That's not what oh. they said. That's what I said. Oh, okay. So so they only said the parts that were true. And you said the part that you keep insisting on despite all available evidence. I, I said the part that's the same as the other with different proper nouns that people insist is a completely different deal. But anyway, while we're on the topic of the cast, I wanted to mention very quickly, seen a story the last few days saying that apparently when they were getting people together for this new season... Jillian Anderson was offered about half of what Davy Dukes was to come back for the show. And she had to hold out to get equal pay, which isn't that much of a surprise. It's not really shocking. It's just sad. Yeah. Like and the star stuff, you know? Because I think, didn't Carrie Fisher um, get less for that too compared to Harrison Ford? I'm sure she did, yeah. And, I mean, it's a good thing that at least, you know, she's obviously important to the show. She's obviously necessary for the show. So she had the power to hold out and actually get what she was due. I mean, you think of so many women in so many roles who can't do that. 
Yeah, you would think that you would need Mulder and Scully, so so they're like a team. Um, oh. It kind of is surprising that they would give her less. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, huge multimedia corporations for you. Well, it's funny, like, actually, last night when we were watching the episode, during a commercial break, my grandma made some comment about how they brought it back, and she was saying that, like, um, well, I don't think she remembered um, David's name, but she kept calling him Mulder, and she said Mulder had to come back because he got divorced, and now he's got alimony, and so that's why she said he was doing it. <laughs> uh, that is as may be. I don't, I don't actually know what the deal is there. All right. Yeah, I don't know either. It was just funny. My grandma's just like, well, he had to come back. One thing I wanted to make note of is that in the scene where they're all looking at the alien reproduction vehicle and the guy is explaining to Mulder that it operates off of zero-point energy extraction and that this zero-point energy extraction is enabled by element 115, which is Illyrium from the computer game XCOM UFO Defense. Man, the Easter eggs are rich. So I, I, I really appreciated that, that, that we're finally using Illyrium. Awesome. A, a spacecraft powered by Element 115. I appreciated that, because I am a nerd. Well, you're on the right podcast. Also, if there's anyone out there who hasn't played XCOM UFO Defense, also known as UFO Enemy Unknown... I don't care that the game is 20 years old, 22, 23 years old. Go play it. It's awesome. Yeah, it was a cool game. Did I mention how depressing Scully's Hospital is? Oh, yeah. I mean, apart from the fact that they apparently let people bring laptop computers into the supposedly sterile surgical scrub-down room, she works at a hospital called Our Lady of Sorrows Hospital. Can you imagine if you're in some sort of like traumatic accident, like you get hit by a bus... Or, or somebody attacks you in your home, and you black out from blood loss, and you wake up, and, and you don't know where you are, and there's people who you don't recognize, and you ask one of them, where am I? And they tell you, you're at Our Lady of Sorrows. That's not good. Doing a quick search on the Google, there are many uh, Lady of Sorrows churches. Our Lady of Sorrows school. So you mm. go there every day. Uh, of course, referring to uh, the Seven Sorrows of Mary, which I suppose she had many. That was interesting as well, the sort of political undertones to Scully working at a Catholic hospital and encountering someone when she's there who is talking about, you know, I don't care what they say, I'm keeping my baby. Oh, 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 did I, did I also mention that Martin O'Malley just comes scrolling in to Scully's surgical scrub-down room and looks at photos of her patients, that is a huge HIPAA violation. That is a huge violation of the privacy and confidentiality rights of those patients. And then he goes and puts the photos up on his internet show. That is a huge HIPAA violation. They could shut that hospital down with the fines that come from an incident like that. You know, I think that's what shut down his show. It, it's, it wasn't any of the UFO stuff. He just got slapped with a lawsuit. Well, you, you get fined $200,000 per violation. You shut down that hospital. There, that's why she go back to the X-Files, because she lost her job, so she's got no choice. Yeah, she lost her job because she bankrupted the fucking hospital. And she lost her job that she had since before the last movie. Dr. Scully, why are you passing out our patient photos and putting them up on an internet show from some right-wing lunatic? Well, was I not supposed to do that? 
I'm sorry, I'm used to uncovering conspiracies. I, I didn't realize that patient confidentiality was a thing. No, no, Mulder convinces them to do it because, you know, patient confidentiality is how they keep all their secrets, Scully. It's how they keep everything hidden. One last thing I wanted to mention in terms of the return to the old X-Files and the classic X-Files is, of course, the fact that they used the same opening credits and the same theme that was originally recorded way back when. I saw an interview with uh, Mark Snow, the composer, recently, where he said that he had tried to recreate it for the new season, but he actually wasn't able to on the equipment he had because... It was really, really hard to duplicate the sound of crappy old synthesizers on state-of-the-art new synthesizers. And, and so he said he got the whistle effect right, but the sort of uh, delayed piano and some of the ambient effects that were really a hallmark of it as well uh, just were not coming through. And so they just used the original recording from 93. I appreciated that all the photos and the ID badges in the credits were the original 93 photos. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Also, David Duchovny is getting... You could see in a few more years, he's going to be very jowly. Well, may maybe when they eventually do uh, The X-Files, The Next Generation, starring William Scully, maybe he'll be the Cancer Man. That was always... Uh, that was something that got threatened a couple of times, right? Just come full circle. I always thought... He, he would be a good, like, deep throat, like, informant for the next generation. I didn't know he'd be, like... Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, then he could have... Well, no, then he could have his own yacht club. That would be kind of cool. M Mulder would have a fine, creepy yacht club, yes. Although he could never, uh... He could never become the new sharp-dressed man. <laughs> See, there are all these people that fandom has very specific names for... And while I was watching the show, I just rattled off very different, very specific names. You know, I guess they call him, what, the well-manicured man? But I think sharp-dressed man is a much better name for that dude. I agree. Who would be in Mulder's Yacht Club? Because, like, everyone is dead, other than, like, him, Scully, and Skinner. Oh, his brother. Or his oh. half-brother, the Jeffrey Spender. Maybe he could show up. Oh, yeah. I, I thought he died. Cancer Man killed him. Uh, no, he came back in season nine. Yeah, spoiler alert, he's, like, all, like, um, like disfigured, too. Yeah, he, he got disfigured from whatever. Oh, yeah, he was back in the finale, wasn't he? He was, he was, was he... one of the things about the finale that confused me, because I thought he was dead. Well, several people made cameos in the finale, and their characters were still dead. Um, but uh, Jeffrey uh, came back alive a few episodes before that, as well, in... Oh, God, that that episode was so dumb. Oh, God. Oh, God, I'm remembering season nine again. Yeah, most of season nine was pretty awful. God, that, oh, God, that was dumb. Yeah, that was after I stopped watching. I think I gave up some point in series eight, season eight, maybe even season seven. I know I saw the beginning of Doggett, but I gave up pretty quickly after that. Yeah, um, that was season eight. Yeah, but I'm not sure if I started watching again when Doggett showed up or if I had already given up sometime during Season 7 and just caught the finale and the premiere. See, I only saw sporadic episodes uh, at any point. Um, I know I saw Two Fathers, One Son, uh, Five Years of Questions, Two Weeks of Answers, and I remembered that for a long time as just a ridiculous th thing in my mind 
the the impression was you know five years of questions, two weeks of answers, and it didn't have any damn answers. But then watching the whole series, the, those episodes I think really held up, especially as the ending of the mythology. The only problem was that the show continued for you know three and a half years, and they had to come up with more mythology all the time. Well, it's like that Roddy Roddy Piper line, the famous one. It's like, just when you think you have the answers, I change the questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's how these things get deepened. The problem is there's only so many times you can do that and maintain audience interest. Yeah. Uh, I that two fathers and one son was really good, and it seemed like they had the two factions of aliens, and then it was a good way to just kind of blow up the series, have them fight each other, and boom, they're done, you know? It was kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. I thought that would have been a fabulous endpoint for the mythology if you know they hadn't been locked into that rhythm where you know you do the beginning, middle, and end of each season and have the one-off episodes in between, and then you know by the end of season six they had to come up with something else and it started kind of started to spiral a little bit. That was when they got into the ancient aliens. Yeah, because um, the um, Two Fathers was even something they could have even held off to the end of the season, but it happened in the middle. So that was kind of odd, I thought. Well, it's just sweeps. Mm. Yeah. Do those right. even matter anymore? I don't know. The broadcast models are so different now. I did read when I was trying to look up to see what uh, the ratings from the premiere were. I did read something where I didn't know this, but Fox Network, I guess they're actually ignoring those just as a network, like um, overall, not just X Files. They're ignoring uh, the initial numbers and they are actually going off a lot more of the DVR numbers. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of adjustment that networks have to make because. You know, people have got it on DVR, people are watching it on Hulu and Fox.com and all the, and whatever other services. The Fox app, probably. I suppose, I mean, of course they have an app. I'm surprised I don't have an app yet. I have a podcast. There the Spectacular App. That would we, be yeah, cool. we need the Glenn Butler Podcast app. <laughs> the Glenn Butler Podcast app, Spectacular. Go to the Listen tab on the Glenn Butler app, Spectacular, to listen to the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour, Spectacular. Then you might get bonus content of him and his um, Daisy Dukes. <laughs> yes. Whoa! Oh, that would be an app experience. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I think I think I gotta pull the ripcord on this. <laughs> I gotta, woof. Okay, I gotta get out of here. Uh, but we will get out of this episode soon enough. But before that, I want to do the uh, new segment that I like to do when we have a guest on. Uh, what other media have you been consuming lately? We've been talking about a couple of TV shows and a TV series. Uh, I just want to see what, you know, variety of things that people are watching or listening to or reading or playing or whatever. So, Andy, do you have a couple of uh, pieces of media you want to comment on? Well, yes, I do. I'm new to the Place to Be Nation, and the media that I've been listening to is all the podcasts right here on the Place to Be Nation. That's Mick Foley Cheap Pop. Yay! <laughs> um, I've had that idea in my head all week, so that was my kind of uh, corny line. Cool. All right. Is that it? <laughs> um, no, actually, well, you don't want to do a lot of wrestling on the show, but I uh, actually recently bought uh, the Sting Blu-ray and the Owen Hart Blu-ray, so um, really, that's kind of... Uh, all I've been like watching a lot lately, the last couple weeks, is X-Files to try to get ready for this, and then wrestling because the Royal Rumble happened. I guess I've been watching uh, Friends on Netflix, too. I started that. 
How how has that come off to you revisiting it so many years later? It was kind of a shock because I forgot all of those old '90s trends, like Jennifer Aniston wearing overalls in like the second episode. That really blew my mind. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's there's definitely a trendsetter. Friends has one of my favorite scenes ever on television in terms of charting change over time where because there's an episode and it's somewhere in the first couple of years and it might even be the first year the first or second season where Chandler gets a new computer from work and he's so excited about this super computer that his work has given him and the the specs on this supercomputer he's been given from his job, it has 12 megs of RAM, 500 meg hard drive, a 28.8 modem, and a spreadsheet program. Wow. <laughs> Surely a kingly prize. Yeah, that takes us back to the X-Files, because didn't they have the huge brick cell phones? And now it's weird seeing them with like the tiny cell phones like we have. I remember reading articles about how up-to-date and with it X-Files was by having all of their agents carry cell phones around. And there were, like, interviews with Chris Carter and some of the other writers that, yeah, we couldn't do this series ten years ago because we couldn't make this series if Mulder and Scully and Skinner didn't all have cell phones on them. Like, it was such, it was such up-to-date technology to have these FBI agents carrying cell phones. Yeah, it took... Uh, pop culture a while to catch up with cell phones, especially horror movies, I think. I think for a long time there were lots of horror movies where everyone mysteriously, you know, fell down and broke their phones, or I forgot to bring it with me, or, you know, oh, I tripped and now it's in the lake. Or these, you know, contrived things to disable people's cell phones because they couldn't think of a way to write a standard movie with cell phones. And well, they couldn't. Isn't every horror movie set out in the woods? Couldn't they just say, "I have AT and T. I can't make a call from here." Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was a, that was another another thing they might do. Someone you know looks at their phone and says, "Ugh, I have no bars." <laughs> I curse you. <laughs> or, you know, if the horror movie is set in, like, an urban wasteland, like, right in the middle of the city, couldn't they say, I have AT&T, I can't make a call from here? Are we nursing your personal grudge against AT&T now? <laughs> I just, uh, made myself laugh. Alright, well, aside from, uh, aside from AT&T and aside from Friends episodes, are there any, uh, pieces of media that you'd like to talk about? Um, not really. I've been, um, watching the playoffs. Yeah, how'd those go? Good for some teams, not so good for others. Ah. Carson Palmer had a rather spectacular failure, although I am kind of disappointed for Bruce Arians. Yeah, but, that would have been a really nice run. There was a great bit on a sports radio show I was listening to where the host was talking about the Cardinals head coach, and he said, I like Arians. And one of his producers came on the mic and said, what, you mean like as a race? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that reminds me when Arian Foster first kind of broke onto the scene and started gaining a fan base that was called the Aryan Nation. Ooh, that's unfortunate. Uh, that that is unfortunate. But um, uh, again, we're we're not really really a sports show. But just m may I just say, and I may names on the door. Uh, that given the uh, Super Bowl matchup, I am really hoping that Peyton just gets another drubbing by an awesome defense. Just just humiliate the guy. I was listening to uh, Dan Levitard on ESPN 
the other day when he pointed out that this Super Bowl was literally a white Bronco versus a black Panther. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. Um... <laughs> All right. On that note, I think I need to pull the ripcord again. <laughs> And, and kind of bail us out of here. And um, I think on that note, that will do it for this episode of the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular. Uh, make sure to visit Andy's X-Files blog at uh, bad-doggit.blogspot.com to see his reviews uh, into Season 8. So there's a long backlog to go and read. Uh, read his article on Place to Nation, The Essential Guide to the X-Files. Uh, watch the X-Files, because it's back and it's pretty good. Read my Wednesday rock... Read my Wednesday walk around the web each Wednesday morning at Place to Be Nation. Listen to the other episodes of the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular. Do whatever you want in life. You are empowered. I believe in you. That's what I want to believe. Thank you, and good night. rehashing the entire conversation we had about this six days ago. Well, now Andy's heard it. <laughs>